And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a Tuesday midday where I waited. I was going to do one on Monday and then I saw how many games there were on Monday. I said, let's stop because it's time to take stock of the Eastern Conference specifically. Screw the West. Screw the Lakers. No Lakers talk. I don't want to hear it. Okay, the East, here's where we stand. And we have Bobby Marks and Tim Bontemps here to help us through it. There's so many things going on in the East. There's a four-way race for first if anyone actually wants to finish first after the Miami Heat reclaimed it last night, finding their identity and their cuts and their passes and their movement. And everybody wants to say the Heat are back and forget that they played the Kings without the Fox and the Ox, the worst two-man nickname or multi-man nickname since the three alphas in Chicago. The Bulls precariously on the verge of falling into the play-in, although they have the tiebreaker over the Raptors, whose arena caught on fire or something the other day. And the Cavaliers, the Nets hanging on to eighth after Charlotte lost last night to Denver, despite the fact that Charlotte beat the Nets the other night to temporarily move into eighth. Does anybody want to face the Nets in the first round? There's so much going on here. Even the Knicks are winning some games. The Wizards released a uniform that doesn't suck. It's all madness in the East. Bobby, how are you? Oh, I am doing great, Zach. How are you? Tim? Uh, I'm a little, little frisky. A little frisky. <laughs> Timmy, good times with a fresh haircut down in Philadelphia ahead of tonight's clash between the second-seeded Sixers and the third-seeded Bucks. This game will settle the tiebreak between these two teams. The head-to-head matchup will be 2-1 to one in favor of one of them. Uh, Tim, how are you, sir? I'm good. Tonight will be fun. Strapo came out today. A lot going on. But my uh, my heart will be at MSG where my bodies are playing in the final four of the NIT and hopefully winning so I can go to the final on it's Thursday. It's all – when did we become the Bonnie's propaganda network? Can we uh, – enough with – it was it was bad enough when Northwestern made its one tournament run in 50 no, years and we forget became North, – Forget Northwestern. Forget Northwestern. There's we're, – we're the mighty few, the Bonometra people. So we, we stand up for our, our little tiny school in the middle of nowhere. Okay, fine. Well, look, if my alma mater ever makes a tournament, I've already told ESPN, my family, my loved ones, my neighbors, I'm out. I'm out for as long as they're in it. I'm on a bender, and you will not see me. The only way you'll see me is if I get escorted out of a game by security. Uh, um, okay. I'm so, probably the only Bonaventure alum in the world that won't be at the game today, but it will be uh, it will be fun. Even Windhorse is going, non-Bonaventure alum. It's going to be going to be a packed house. Wow. Um, let's reset. I think there are two – Zooming out two big storylines in the East that we should start with. Number one is, I think, the growing notion that being third or fourth might be a little better than being first or second because there's effectively no difference between five and six. Five and six are going to be who they are. They're all interchangeable, Toronto, Chicago, Cleveland. You might prefer one, you might prefer the other. What they are is not the Nets. And though you can't game whether the Nets are 7th or 8th, they are very likely to have the 8th seed because of their very easy schedule down the stretch, which means they're very likely to make the playoffs whether they're 7th or 8th. It's hard to imagine them losing two chances to win. I think they would be better than a coin toss to beat whoever is the 7th seed on the road unless it's Toronto, in which case Kyrie Irving won't be able to play because the world is just determined to destroy my brain. Um, at all times. So that's thing number one. The Nets avoidance is three and four, maybe better than one and two. And again, you lose home court in the second round. And I think the thing we should start with is the Boston Celtics, I think, had been emerging as the strongest potential challenger to the Milwaukee Bucks, who have been my pick to win the East since the Kyrie Irving, James Harden vaccination, James Harden getting frustrated since the Nets went haywire. Um, A case has been made that They shouldn't be, the Celtics should not have been framed as the biggest challenger to Milwaukee to win the East, but instead the favorite and maybe the overwhelming favorite to win the East given their incredible 96 Bullsian level of dominance over the past almost 35 to 40 games now. I never really bought that because the Bucs are the Bucs and when you win the title you get some championship equity. And then Robert Williams III, the Time Lord, Torres meniscus, I think that's a huge deal. I think the Celtics can persevere and survive it and still be a hell of a tough out in the playoffs. But I think that has a major impact on their playoff ceiling. 
their ability to defend Giannis and all of that. Tim, you've spent a lot of time around the Celtics over the last couple of years. You live in Boston. You've seen the Time Lord evolution up close. How big a deal is that for Boston in terms of their chances of making a, th- a run to the finals, frankly? Well, obviously it's a huge deal, right? I mean, Robert Williams, when he signed the extension with the, the Celtics last summer for four years and around $50 million, fully guaranteed, you know, he'd only played, I think, about 110 games his first three years in the league. And it was that was sort of a bet on his potential to be an impact player at both ends that we had seen in flashes, but he had not been able to stay on the court long enough to really prove he could do it on a consistent basis. You fast forward to this year, he's played 61 games, a career high. He's playing a, a lot of minutes. I think he's close to around 30 a game. And he's been an impact player at both ends. He's been a huge part of their reason. They've had the best defense in the league. And his, vertic- his vertical spacing and his ability to – crash the rim on offense is a, is an element they don't have otherwise. So his loss definitely hurts. I think if you look at their core players, though, I, they can't replace him, but he's the most replaceable guy of those players. Getting Daniel Tice at the deadline, he's a very solid backup big. They can play Al Horford and Tice and Grant Williams at those big spots, and they play like a little bit of a different team, but they can at least do enough, I think, to mask a lot of what he brings. And then they can hope that, you know, depending on what option they take with the surgery um, later, you know, whenever they decide that in the next few days or in the next week, maybe there's a chance they could get him back by early to mid-May. Maybe he could be back for, say, a conference finals showdown with Milwaukee. So we'll see what happens. Obviously, it's a tough blow for the Celtics. They're Before the, the game when they played in Toronto without any of their guys – they were 24-4 and four in their last 28 games. They've been outscoring teams by 16 points per 100 possession. They've been absolutely demolishing people. In the game, Robert got hurt on Sunday. They casually went up 25 or 20 on Minnesota in another just cruise effort from them to blow a team out. So it's a shame that this happened. It does obviously hurt their chances, but I do think you can construct an argument that they can potentially mask the loss of Robert as opposed to if they lost Jalen or Jason, you know, Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, I think, they would have no shot then. I still think you'd say they have a shot now, but obviously it's a big loss. Yeah, I, look, no one's going to argue that he's as important to the team as as the Jays. And, and you mentioned Grant Williams and you mentioned Tice. Obviously, that will be the way that they replace Time Lord. Um, I did I, – my curiosity about Boston was always whether when the chips are down – they would have to play a little bit more with Tatum and Brown at the three and the four with Smart and White or Pritchard and White. I mean, Pritchard's a bit player, but like two guards and those two guys in smaller lineups to juice up their shooting. Now they're kind of kind of be forced into into playing a little bit in that contract because I, I just don't know how much I, I, Tyson, Grant Williams, Grant Williams I love. I just think maybe it's just a few minutes a game here or there. I do think that's interesting. Bobby, the last time we podcasted, they had just traded for Derek White which I felt at the time I was kind of wishy-washy on. I didn't love it. I thought they had paid a pretty hefty price. They had already won like six of seven or eight of nine by then. So their surge had already begun. And I think Boston, when when you sometimes teams surge up to the trade deadline and all of us are half focused on the court and half focused on the trade market. And so you kind of, you don't miss it, but it doesn't impact you the way it would if it happened in November or December. The people who worked for the Celtics obviously didn't miss it. And I think their difference of of opinion on the white trade versus maybe mine and yours was they viewed it more as a, this could be the last missing piece trade between us and a real championship team. Whereas I was like, well, it's a piece. It helps. I don't know if it's the miss. I didn't really conceive of it that way, but that's the way it looks now, right? I mean, the valuation of that trade looks totally different, even though he hasn't, Derek White hasn't shot it well until the last week for them. He shot it horribly. Well, he, you know, when the trade happened, it was it was a little bit rich just based on what they gave up as far as the first and then the the, uh, the pick swap in um, what, what 2028. Um, yeah. I think I think he's the X factor. I, I think he is kind of the X factor as far as you know bench scoring in the playoffs. Um, does he? How does you know? Is he on the with the group that closes game? And you're right. I mean, he's shot twenty. He's shot. In, 26% from three so far and 38 from the field. I mean, those are significant um, drops from where he was in, uh, in in San Antonio. But 
I do think he gives them a, a different element that they didn't have before him. I think, um, you know, certainly when we get to the playoffs, minutes are going to go up for your your core guys. But I, I mean, I look at him, Pritchard, and Williams as kind of the three guys. I don't, I don't say it can win a game for you because when you have Tatum and Brown and and Smart on your roster, but you know, I think they can get some separation as far as if they get something out of those three guys. Yeah, the, the I, I, when they when they got Derek White, one of the first, I think both the first couple games they played. They closed with Smart, White, Tatum, Brown, Time Lord. And everyone was like, oh, they've got their closing lineup. And they've barely used that lineup because Horford and Grant Williams have been so good. And obviously now yep. Time Lord is out. Tim, I'm going to push back on you and then I'll get back to you. I, I'm a little bit more worried about the Robert Williams thing than you are. Just because just be, like the Celtics are and Derek White has been that connective tissue that they've been missing right all the passing all the cutting all the extra passes in the middle of possessions but so that's changed their look they're a very they're a very sort of sophisticated smart tough team to guard their defense is obviously incredible they're going to miss them on defense i just think to beat all these great teams you need a little like just just bounce and oomph and verticality and just just an element of like almost terror from above that that they don't have without him and that's on offense and on defense some of these shot blocks he's getting on defense I mean he is like you blink your eye and he's come from the corner to the other side of the rim and absolutely inhaling these shots before they even get out of guys hands Almost and obviously on offense, the lob catching is just a dimension that Daniel Tice. Daniel, if Daniel Tice is catching a lob, he's coming down with it, pump faking right. four times and hoping to draw a foul. If Robert Williams catches a lob, he is hammering that thing into the rim from like above the rim. So I'm a little worried about. That's not to say like I'm going to pick them to lose in the first round. I think to win the title, and that had become their goal to make the finals or win the title. I I do right. think that changes that 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 changes their odds to me in a non-trivial way. Well, what are you going to say? No, I, I, to be clear, I agree with you on that. I don't, I think it definitely hurts their chances. I, I, I think that I thought with them fully healthy, I thought they were at worst the third best team in the league. I thought Milwaukee and Phoenix, I thought all year, those are the two best teams. And I thought the Celtics were better than everybody else. And I think without Robert Williams, I think you can argue they can get as far as playing Milwaukee. I don't think they could beat Milwaukee if they don't have Robert Williams healthy. So, and I think they had a chance to with him. So I think it's a significant impact on their team. I just think they have ability to mask it in ways that if Marcus or one of the two wing guys got hurt, they couldn't. But the thing I wanted to say about Derek White was going up to the trade deadline, the thing we talked about all year with the Celtics was they had a team that didn't really fit, right? They had Jalen, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum as their wings. And they sort of had this roster that was going to be built around them. But then they had all these guys that held the ball, right? Dennis Schroeder, Josh Richardson, they looked stagnant on offense. And by subtracting those guys from the mix and putting in Derek White and getting down to that seven, you know, with Peyton Pritchard on the court, eight-man rotation they have, they now have this team where everybody plays the same way. It all fits well. They have guys that make quick decisions and move the ball. And that's been the thing that has unlocked this team and has them playing the way they are. None of these guys are really um, weak links defensively. You can't go – you can't attack anybody. Um, so you put all that together and that's been the thing that's driven their success. It's been all those guys all basically playing, playing together and playing well. And that's the other part of where losing Rob hurts. Like, yes, they have guys that can fill in for him, but this has been a team that's been chugging along with this perfect, perfectly synchronized eight man, seven and a half, eight man rotation. You take one of those pieces out, all of a sudden it puts a little more strain on everybody else. And it's naturally going to lower their ceiling a little bit. They have a lot They're They're well, they're built to guard anybody but they are built to guard Giannis. They consciously have gotten guys who have the theoretical build to give Giannis – not no one gives Giannis problems anymore. The guy's just – if he's going to make free throws at the rate he's making free throws, it's he's just going to score 30 every game. But mm-hmm. guys that have the weight and the length and the foot speed to at least stay in front of him or parallel to him and not get roasted. Horford was that guy until like four years ago and when Giannis kind of figured that one out, although Horford's still not bad. They haven't used Time Lord on him much as the straight initial matchup guy. I would have been interested to see if they tried to do that more in the playoffs. And by the way, maybe he'll get healthy in time for that series. Who knows? But 
even when he's like, say, on Brook Lopez or something, their whole gambit is we're so big and so fast that we can wall off Giannis without losing touch with all the shooters. I mean, that's their gambit against everybody. We cover the most space. We have the most speed. And and without his bounce and his length, I think that takes a hit. So I'm a little interested and worried to see how they respond. So rarely do we talk about a guy with an 11% usage rate as this kind of importance, but that but that's how good he's been. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Bobby, how have you thought the Nets have looked with the Kyrie situation, um, your old team, with the Kyrie situation resolved? I don't think they're going to get out of the first round. That's how I look at Brooklyn. Okay. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. I have a hard time. I have a hard time thinking they're going to get stops in these games. I mean, just watching the Charlotte. Why would you think that? Oh, I mean, I saw them in live against Portland (laughs) and they had a hard time getting stops against a G league team. I mean, offensively they're, yeah, they're dynamic, right? The two guys there. I think it's going to be interesting as far as if Brooklyn's willing to sacrifice offense for defense. And who is that going to be? Is it James Johnson? Maybe they put out there. Um, you know, Patty Mills has struggled. Like Patty Mills hit a, I feel like he hit the rookie wall and hasn't come back from it. Um, so I'm, my concern with Brooklyn is the ability to get stops in close games. That, that is my concern. And I know it will certainly depend on if it's, you know, getting out of the play-in and, um, you know, if they get Miami or Philly or one of these teams, you know, They'll have a, as good of a chance as you know the other team, but I, 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 I'm just I have a real concern about them defensively here. I, I really, uh, I really do, and that's I'm not as high on them as far as advancing far in the in this playoffs because I don't think they're built. Um, I don't think they're built defensively. I think I'm I'm a little concerned with Steve Nash also. Like I, 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 was, I think I was texting with you, Tim. I said like. Like Steve's, Steve's like the uh, Nick Nurse version of, of regular season basketball during the playoffs. Like he's basically <laughs> just going to play six guys like forty plus minutes. I mean, rightfully so in the playoffs. I mean, we saw. I know we saw it in the Milwaukee series, but that was certainly circumstances dictated that. Um, so I'm, I'm not. You know, I think they got to get out of the playing first, man. Like this play. Like you look at the teams. Like I think there's out of the top ten teams. Only two teams that are playing below 500, uh, Chicago and Cleveland. Um, I mean, Charlotte's playing well. Atlanta's playing well. Um, who knows if it's Toronto if the, at the seven and Kyrie can't play. Um, it's, I mean, well, just it's, look at the game Sunday, right? They played sure. Charlotte. It could be they could play Charlotte in an eight nine or nine you know nine ten game if they're ninth. If they play Charlotte or Atlanta, they could have a game where they just go seven for thirty from three and Charlotte goes sixteen for thirty one. Well, this three is what, this is what I keep saying about the play in. People keep asking me, are the Nets the team to beat in the East? 
Or Vegas. Does Vegas still right. have the Nets as the team know, to be? Man. Is that still the case now? They must what know it? something I'll we don't know. I'll check it. I'll check it right now, but it might be. Do I need? Does Vegas know about the play-in tournament? Like, I don't understand what's happening because I keep saying, I don't like. If you're in the play-in tournament, you are by definition not the team to beat in the East because your margin for error is very, very slim. It's not zero because if to me, if the Nets aren't eighth. Something really bad has happened. And the underrated difference in the play-in tournament is the, the difference between 8th and ninth is gigantic. The ability to have two chances to win one game is gigantic. And right now, that game's in Cleveland and not in Toronto. That's part of the reason why this, this time of year is fun. All the random teams that are watching random games hoping for some random result. So now the Nets are like, oh, Toronto's in six. They're rooting for, like, last night, Toronto-Boston overtime. Boston's JV team is playing. The Nets are like, come on, raps. Hang on to number six. You don't have any time. And I was watching, God only knows why. Well, I know why. I was watching Rockets-Spurs last night, and K.J. Martin, who's been playing fantastic for the last six weeks for the Rockets, one of my favorite random guys to watch in the league, Banks a three at the buzzer that would have beaten the Spurs in a fall from a head loss for San Antonio. Banks a three that hits glass, rolls around the rim, dips halfway in to the point that the announcers begin their like crescendo to a buzzer beating win and rolls out. And you can imagine how sad a turn of events for the Lakers that they're sitting there somewhere lamenting that KJ Martin missed a three. That would have sunk the 31 and 44 San Antonio Spurs and helped the Lakers play off. That's why this is so much fun. Bob, you don't feel old talking about Kenyon's kid playing in the NBA at all, I'm sure, oh right? God, I remember that kid running around the practice facility <laughs> when he was like three years old. I mean, hey, man, he's good. Like, he's good. And, yeah. and Jalen Green, no one's watching the Rockets anymore, and I understand why. Jalen oh, Green's I am. Last... When you got to write 3,000 words on him, I'm watching. <laughs> Hey, look, first of all, they're sneakily set up to be an interesting offseason team as soon as this offseason, as you have probably written about, and definitely next offseason. Shengun is going to be really good. That guy, Shengun plays, now we're just all over the place and I don't care. Shengun plays like he's been dared by someone in his inner circle to just try, like, hey, tonight I dare you to pivot five times and throw, hide the ball in your jersey, and then throw it out behind your back to someone in the opposite. He plays like he's been dared to do insane things. And Jalen Green, that kid's going to be good. And he baptized Jakob Pertl last night. I don't know if you saw that dunk. He had a, again, where was this in the dunk contest? I don't know, but he just, he put Jakob Pertl six feet under. Anyway, um, on the Nets, oh, look, I'll tell you, I get what all you guys are saying. Defensively is the question. No one knows if Ben Simmons is playing again this season, right? And the longer it goes, the more I'm like, is this really like you're really going to bring this dude back at, at this after this much time off? And obviously, he is is helpful massively on defense. But I'll tell you this: the the teams in the one to four spots, they all look at the with the exception of maybe Milwaukee, who remember Milwaukee last year had the whole discussion. They had a team meeting about it. Should we tank? to avoid Miami in the first round. Yeah. And all the players and all the front office and all the coaches were like, F- that. We want the Heat. Bring us the Heat. And the basketball gods smiled upon them. They won the title. They're not avoiding anybody. The other three teams are looking at the Nets warily and looking at those three and four seeds as a safe haven away from the Nets. But you guys, wow, I'm surprised. You guys are just you guys are just out. Out. Now, I, I'm not – I'm I'm – is it just defense? I don't, either one of you can answer. It's just defense, defense and depth. That's it. Well, I mean, look the the Nets. The Nets have gone nine and thirteen in games Kyrie has played. Right? It's not like they've lit the world on fire. A lot of those games have been. I don't know exactly the number, but the vast majority of those games have either been with James Harden or Kevin Durant playing. Also, so it's not like it's been Kyrie and nobody else playing in those games. Um, the defense, as Bobby pointed out, is a disaster. You know, they can score with anybody, but they also give up a lot of points. They're going down the stretch in the game. If it comes down to them making shots, maybe they'll make enough shots. Maybe they won't. They are going to – they aren't going to have home court advantage. So, you know, they're playing a team like Milwaukee that's really good or Boston that's really good or Miami that's really good. They're not going to have home court advantage in the series. So that yeah, the, is the, a the negative raucous, mark against The them. raucous Barclays Center home <laughs> crowd is going to be missed. Well, well, I'm just saying, like, it, 
it, it is it is an advantage for the teams they're playing that they're going to be on the road. And ultimately, you know, the other thing too, as Bobby pointed out, like these guys are not exactly a paragon of health even as of now, right? Kevin Durant's playing a ton of minutes. He keeps getting banged up over the past couple of years. Kyrie, well, I mean, let's face it, Durant times. goes down. We could just well, no, then we they're done anyway. But I'm just saying, like, there's it's not like it's it's not like we could sit here and feel great about the chances they're not going to have any more injuries the rest of the way. So, like, could you construct a scenario where the Nets score 140 a game and get through the East? Like, sure, I guess you can. But if they're going to finish seventh or eighth, then they got to play some combination of all three of those teams to get to the finals. Like. I just can't see them running that gauntlet and winning. And if they're going to play a team like Milwaukee in the first round, I just I thought Milwaukee was better than them in the preseason before all this stuff happened. Let alone now. Well, you so, just you just nailed it. It's sort of reductionist and obvious, but I look at the Nets without Simmons, and we'll see who gets back. Right, like Lamarcus Aldridge was available the other night. Maybe he brings. He, he's had a great season for them, all things considered. He's another guy, though, that in the playoffs is just going to get absolutely abused defensively, you have to assume. It de- depends on the opponent, but yes, the people will go at him. And the targeting of specific defenders is an issue we will talk about with the Miami Heat coming up shortly. Um, uh, but I, I, I look at the Nets without Simmons as a team that can win any one playoff series. I don't really even right. care who the opponent is. I, I include Milwaukee in that. I still think I would actually would be interested to see what you guys think about this. Chips are down. Everyone's healthy. Every individual player is healthy. I got to win game seven of a playoff series or game whatever of a playoff series. I, st- I think still Kevin Durant is the best player in the NBA. Agree or disagree? I agree. I, I, I agree. I would I mean, say I would, ride, I would ride him in a game seven. You, you're Definitely. going Giannis? I say, I, Giannis is so good at both ends. So it's, is it's Durant. So is guys. Durant. Durant's no, defense Durant, is underrated. It's un, and even this season and even lately, when, it's been underrated. When Kevin's locked in, he's really good on defense. I mean, look, I, you can. It's it's one of those two guys, for sure. So Durant is unbelievable. If I'm nobody, nobody is looking forward for all the stuff we've said about the Nets. Nobody's going to be thinking, oh man, we get to play the Nets and Kevin Durant in the first round. This is great. Like nobody wants to see him on the other side of the court. But that's that's the He's point. Awesome. That, that's the point. They can win. The Nets is currently constructed can win any one playoff series. I'm not sure they can win. Th- I don't think they can win three in this Eastern Conference. The, the matchups would have to break super right for them. But Durant is absolutely terrifying to any opponent. Nobody wants any part of it. Kyrie is Kyrie, and I do think, I do think if he if Kyrie just lights it up in the playoffs, even if they lose in the first round. I do think he's going to trigger an interesting discussion. I just I, Kyrie triggers a lot of interesting discussions. I realize about like I, I wonder if he'd even come out and say it. Like I'm kind of glad I only played 25 games this season because I feel fresh as a daisy compared to all these other dudes who are worn out, and I'm dribbling circles around them. I think that's interesting. Yeah. And, and that's the thing too, Zach. Like you look at the net schedule down the stretch here is that there's only one back-to-back game. They're basically playing every – I mean, they've got, you know, Tuesday night they're playing Detroit, Thursday, Milwaukee, Saturday, Atlanta. So they're not – like maybe the Charlotte game when you're coming – you're playing Miami on a Saturday, you get in at 3 o'clock, and he came out and said he didn't go to bed till like, what, 6 in the morning. Maybe, like, like, welcome back to the NBA, right? Like that's NBA life, back-to-backs, you know, lack of sleep. Um, so maybe the Nets – you know, and you don't see that in the in the in the playoffs. So you will probably see a fresh, you know, you'll see a fresh Kyrie Irving, a guy that hasn't played a lot of games in the last three or four years. The other thing to note too, and it's one of the benefits of the play-in tournament for the teams at the top, the Nets are going to have to play at least one game going into the playoffs, maybe two, and they're going to have to go right into the first round. Whoever they play is going to get a week off, and like that is one of the kind of it's not talked about a lot because usually you're not expecting to see a team with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in the playing tournament like that. But it is going to be a boost to these teams at the top if they get a chance to rest and recover for a week. Obviously, it's not the same as playing 25 games during a regular season healthy. But, you know, they, they are going to feel pretty good if they get a week to kind of rest up and get ready to go for whoever they have to play. That's the thought. And I've, I've been interested the whole season to see how Steve Nash, with Joe Harris out and all these little guards who are score-first guards – sort of balances shooting and defense. I was really interested in it with an eye on when Simmons came back as as a the preeminent non-shooter in the NBA. 
we may not see that. And so far, he's kind of split the difference between he's got Bruce Brown and Andre Drummond in the starting five, so two non-shooters, although Bruce Brown's been playing great lately. And then James Johnson yeah, and, Nick, really and Nick Claxton off the bench as two non-shooters, and Claxton's been playing great lately. And then he'll play the he'll play Mills, uh, Dragic, and Irving all together, and that's worked pretty well offensively. So he's kind of searching around for answers and finding some interesting ones. Uh, I just I I think I I'd be shocked if they don't make the playoffs, given that they're they should be a cinch to get into the eighth spot. But if they don't. Obviously, it's a disaster, and the Rockets are throwing a party because they have the next draft pick in that case. Um, let's talk about the team you're going to see tonight up close, Tim. What are you – Philly Philly is second in the East. Um, they are 2-2 with Miami. They're, they're tied head-to-head with everybody going into tonight except Milwaukee. Uh, Miami and Boston are both 2-2, and then it, you get into the stuff about do they win their division. If not, it's conference right. records, and then I just crumple my right. paper up and say wake me up in the playoffs. <laughs> How, I, the the Harden thing got off to this roaring start. It has sort of tep, it been a little more tepid in the last five to six games. What are you looking for tonight in Philly? And just what's your temperature take on the Sixers? Like how how are are they still an inner circle title contender, East contender, or are they behind Milwaukee, Boston without Time Lord still, or are they just right right there with with Miami? You know, we'll, we'll talk about Miami, but where are they? Well, I I'll go back to the last time I was on the pod on March first, right? And we talked a lot about the Sixers had a really easy start with James Harden. They played a bunch of bad teams. You know, played the Knicks, played the Wolves early. Not a good defensive team. Um, and then they were going to start playing, you know, the Nets and all these good teams in the month of March, and we were going to see sort of where the James Harden thing actually stood. And to answer your question, I don't think the Sixers are an inner circle title team. I'm not sure the Sixers will get out of the first round, depending where they wind up and who they play. Um, They better not play the Nets. I think the Nets, they're they're a team that I think would be in trouble if they play the Nets. And a lot of it to me just comes down to James Harden is not the guy that the Sixers traded for, in my opinion. When you make this trade that the Sixers made, and the the move they made and how they made it, they traded for James Harden thinking they were getting a top five to ten player in the league to pair with Joel Embiid, to have two of the best ten guys in the league going forward, and that was going to carry them to a, you know a, a possible title. And James Harden's still a really good player. He's still a top fifteen to twenty five player. Clearly an All Star. Clearly really good. But when you watch him in these games, he doesn't have the same burst he did before. If he's not getting fouled, he's just sort of lost unless he's hitting the step-back jumper. He's struggled in a bunch of these games against better teams, played terribly against the Nets, obviously, had a rough game against Phoenix. And Joel Embiid has been great all the way through. He's been fantastic all season. But they have a lot of structural flaws with this team. They have no athleticism. Their transition defense is terrible. Um, their, shooting, their perimeter shooting is shaky. Uh, a lot of streaky shooters. And they have nobody to guard in particular, any of the good wing players these teams have. Kevin Durant. Except, Th- except Thibel, who's undersized against Durant, but like, not, every, but like right, everybody he, else. But he's not a really a – he's more of a guy that you put on a guard, right? Like you could put him on Kyrie or he, he, he's more chasing around as a help defender rather than like you're putting him on Chris Middleton for 40 minutes or you're putting him on – you know, Jason Tatum for 40 minutes. They don't have a second guy to guard any of these guys. Well, they were so, they had Tobias Harris guarding both Booker and Chris Paul at points in the Phoenix game. And I'm like, man, yeah. first of all, that's a bad sign. Second of all, yes. James Harden is guarding Jay Crowder because we got to hide James Harden that dramatically. Like James yes. Harden can't give me five possessions against his nominal yes. counterpart on the other team. And he can. And that's that's the problem. Like, they, they just have fundamental flaws that – but the fundamental flaws of that team, if it was going to work, were going to be overcome by those two guys just overwhelming the opponents with how good they are. And the bottom line is, Joel Embiid is that good, and James Harden is not. And if James Harden doesn't get to that level in the next couple weeks, they're going to be quick out in the playoffs. Might win a round, but they're not going to beat Milwaukee. They're not going to. I don't think they're going to beat Boston. Still, like they they can't beat these better teams if he doesn't play better. Because he has to play better the way this team is built for them to go on that kind of run that they want. I just, I just told that Bobby. I just checked James's game log because I watched that Phoenix game and I know he was, he was. 
I would describe his defense as corpse-esque for parts of that game. <laughs> um, and I just looked at his game log. He was 2 of 11. And when I see James Harden, 2 of 11, I my body begins to shake involuntarily because that's the, he he's like a moth to the flame with 2 of 11 stat lines in big-ish games. And he's had three playoff games of 2 of 11. Uh, Bobby, go ahead. No, I mean, I think the concern for me is is always going to be about his ability. I mean, his ability to finish at the rim, right? Like, so I'm 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 writing Orlando their offseason article. I'm writing Cole Anthony, right? So our great Matt Williams and stats. I said, give me some Cole, Cole Anthony stuff. And he and what he came out with, he came back with was a James Harden note. Is that out of the 132 players that have attempted 200 more 200 plus layups or dunks, there's three players that are shooting below 50 percent. Nikhil Alexander Walker, Cole Anthony, and James Harden. Oh, oh boy. Yep. That's and if you watch the games, it that's how it looks. Because if he isn't getting fouled at the rim, he's just flinging the ball up in the air and missing. Like it's it's not you the know same what? guy. You know what I've noticed that if they tracked this, he would lead the league in it this season at least. He uses the ball as a weapon. Yeah more than any player in the NBA. He can't get by people as easily, and so they backpedal with him, and he sticks the ball out and hits them with the ball to try to get a little... He did that in the Phoenix game, and and I was listening to the Sixers announcers, and they they couldn't believe there wasn't a foul. And he basically... I think he hit three or four people on it. It was the like, six, a, it was yeah, like the Sixers announcers treat Jokic like Voldemort. He's he who should not he, he shall not be named because Joel Embiid is so obviously the MVP and to talk about anything else is not so. But yeah, he uses. I've never seen a player do it. He does it like five times a game. He hit. It would hurt if he like hits. If he hit you in the face with the ball, that would hurt. Look, well, and go back to the Nets game, right? The first game, like that was a huge game. I think they were five and one or five and zero oh at that point with with Harden playing. And what did the Nets do? The Nets basically just stood there like this and were like, do not foul James. Let him drive in. He's not going to be able to get by you. He's going to have to make him shoot over you. And he was horrible in that game. And that's sort of been the blueprint since then. And when he struggled, like you said, Zach, against Phoenix, he's two for 11. Like if he's not getting to the foul line, he's shooting 41% with the Sixers so far. Like he's just not, he just doesn't, he's just not the same guy that he was before. That's got to change if this team wants to make a deep run. Yeah. You know, Danny Green is aging and a little up and down. Tobias is always up and down. Maxi, for as wonderful as he's been as a second-year player, and yet I am hes He's also a disaster on defense. He's been disappointed to me in the last two weeks specifically. He's been caught going under screen, shooting the gap on guys where he should know better. And, like, he, I had higher hopes that he, he could be better than this now. Um. And yet I'm hesitant to bury a team with James Harden and Joel Embiid as as incredible as Joel Embiid is and as unstoppable as that pick and roll is. There's just no answer to it other than you can't switch, you can't drop. I mean, you can do all these things. They have answers for all of them. So the what the, the other the things I am concerned about though is I do like when they first got him, they were running all those D'Antoni actions that we were talking about where James would start in the corner, take a handoff. It was all high fun. Those have kind of slowly vanished from the offense, and it's just more classic hardened standstill, a little easier to guard pick and roll. And then if you watch when teams switch, at least in the last two or three games, when teams switch, which is something you should not be able to do against James Harden and Joel Embiid, more of the switches are now – being directed toward Harden is is taking step back threes and waving Joel out of the post, or like, even though even if Joel has a mismatch, and that's like the step back three is a good shot for James. It's just something I'm monitoring. Do either of you think that in his deepest, darkest moments, if he has any of them, that when the vaccine mandate got lifted, Harden was like, <laughs> "Oh damn, like really that happened? Like, hmm, that's it. It's interesting. Any either of you wonder that." I've been wondering. I've been wondering that. that. I did think that. Yes, if you just waited it out, all would be good in the world. It's, it, it's an interesting. It's an interesting hypothetical. I sure. I will go to my NBA writing grave, thinking if Kyrie had just gotten vaccinated, or the rules were different, or whatever, the Nets would be, you know. 55 and 15, and just destroying everybody, and we'd be sitting on this podcast being like. 
Well, what are the Bucks' chances? Do the Bucks have any hope? Like, like I, but that the, might be true. But we'd still be having the same conversation about James Harden, a guy who doesn't guard anybody, is not as efficient as he was before. Like, I, it's still the same problem they had when they traded for him in the first place, which is they already had Kyrie and KD. Like, ideally, now you have those two guys in the playoffs. You surround them with defenders. The Nets' problem is, like we talked about, they don't have a lot of defenders. Philly's problem is the same thing. They have Joel Embiid in the paint. And then they have nobody else who can really guard anybody with the exception of Matisse. So they're running these lineups out there with, like you said, they have Tobias Harris guarding Kevin Durant because they have no other option. You know, Devin Booker was just abusing Tyrese Maxey the other day. Like they just, they can't guard these teams with the elite perimeter players. Look, like I said, I'm not, I'm not going to bury them like this. It wouldn't surprise me if they won the East, but, but nothing. It surprised me. It, I guess it, it would maybe surprise me. A, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me that much, honestly. It would surprise me a little bit. I guess it wouldn't shock me. What I will say is I've I've seen nothing from them to make me think they can beat Milwaukee in a best of seven series. That's that's that that outcome would be a surprise to me. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. By the way, you mentioned uh, Booker. Let's talk about a couple of awards things before we get into the Heat, who have had a very strange last couple of weeks. Um, mm-hmm. If, if, and, and I have a feeling we're going to get some dissent on this topic, if one were to put Jokic and Embiid both on the first team, and I'm mm-hmm. wondering if we should almost issue a clarion call that everyone has to vote Jokic at one position and Embiid at the other to make sure they both get on the first team, if that is the outcome you as a voter desire. If they are both on the first team, Giannis is also on the first team. That's forward, forward, center, done. I've got two guard spots. Okay. If 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 I'm Jason, you have two guard spots either way. To be clear. You yes, have, but no. I'm saying I'm just one. I'm just clarifying what's left. I'm just clarifying what's <laughs> oh, left. I'm if I'm Jason Tatum, if I'm Jason Tatum's agent, I'm calling the league six times a day and saying if Jokic and Embiid are eligible at forward. You better make my client eligible at guard and forward and give him a shot at one of these first-team spots on this theoretical ballot. And if I'm successful in that argument, I've got the— He was eligible last year at both. So then here's here's where I'm curious where you guys stand. If I construct my ballot that way, and I know one of you is going to yell at me about doing that, (laughs) I've got the following candidates for two guard spots if Tatum's agent wins this argument. Tatum, Tatum, Booker— Luca, Ja, Curry, and LeBron. Mm-hmm. That's six guys for two spots. How in the hell am I resolving that? Which of those two guys do I t- like? I think there's a strong argument that Tatum and Booker have seized those first two All NBA spots over the guy who's leading the NBA and scoring and maybe the greatest player of all time over. Luka Doncic, who zero people want any part of in a playoff series, over the greatest shooter of all time, whose team was number two in the West before he got injured, over the guy who is the cultural touchstone and best player on the second best team in the league. Is that crazy? Who would you guys give those two spots to? I would be leaning, if if Tatum's a a guard, uh, to Booker and Tatum. I think games played matters for me. Um, I mean, I don't have a vote, so I can put out my fictional um, ballot. I mean, uh, Morant's played 56 games this year. It's always played. And I was looking up that number because I was thinking like, you know, Durant, you know, that's going to come into play too as far as his – I mean, I think at the end of the day, Kevin Durant's going to play more games than John Morant this year. Um, and I do believe games matter and how Booker has played and certainly how Tatum have played. I'm assuming um, Durant is not going to be eligible at guard, but I, now you've, now you've, now I'm, okay. Now I'm rubbing my, now, now I'm rubbing my head because it hurts. <laughs> Go ahead. But I would, I would pick, um, I would pick Booker and, uh, and Tatum as my two guards. Mr. Bontemps. 
right, so I have a, I have a few things. So I'm sure you do. Uh, I got a few. Right, let me tell you what grinds my gears. <laughs> well, no, you said no. You said a lot of stuff. Like it's 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 all interesting stuff. So I understand this argument about wanting to get Embiid and Jokic on first team, wanting to try to get Booker and Tatum on first team, right? Uh, while there's positions on the ballot, I'm going to vote guys at the positions they play. Now, you can argue there shouldn't be positions, and we should just have the top 15 guys, and that'll probably happen at some point. And then at that, that point, I'll just vote the 15 guys. But me personally, I'm going to choose between Nicole Jokic and Joel Embiid, and I have one on first team and one on second team, and the world will move on. It'll be okay. Just like on my MVP ballot, I'm going to have to choose one of them first, and one of them second, or one of them first and third, and Giannis second or whatever, and the world will move on, and it'll be okay. It'll be the same thing with Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum, phenomenal player. He might be first team on my All-NBA ballot. I spend more time on All-NBA than anything else. I think it's the most important award every year because it is a good historical record of where the league is at. But Jason Tatum's a forward. He's not a guard. I'm not going to vote for him at a guard spot. Why is he more of a forward than – I don't know. I mean, like, who runs the most pick and rolls per 100 possessions on the Celtics? It's probably close between him and Smart. Um, it probably is, but I I tend to do it personally off of where your defensive position is for this stuff. And Tatum that, guards wings and forwards. That, that, that's the way most people conceive of the position. Yeah, the, and if and again, like if you want to say and if you want to say we should get rid of positions, fine. Like that, then I'll vote differently. But while there are positions, Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic have played center every game minute they've been on the court basically their entire lives, except for the brief interregnum in Denver when they tried to play Nurkic and Jokic together and then everybody got mad and they traded Nurkic away. But um, the one other thing I wanted to touch on was I I have not sat down and studied it yet closely to be clear. I really spent a couple days looking at him and to do it next week. I'm not sure I'm going to have LeBron on an NBA team. Oh, (laughs) no. Oh, there we go. Well, look, their team is horrible. He's to Bobby's point. He's missed a lot of games. Like, right, as of now, he still doesn't qualify for the scoring title. He's still got to play – I think you have to play 58 games, right, Bobby, to qualify? I so. He's, he's at 55, so we'll see if he gets another couple games. He probably will. This ankle injury doesn't sound great, but LeBron's a cyborg, so he'll probably play. And my guess – I'll have him at a forward spot. My guess is he'll probably make it. But, I mean, they've won – they're going to win, what, 33 games? Like – at some point, being a massive disappointment as a team has to matter right, okay. somewhat. Right. Let me, right? let me, let me. Especially when he's part of their defense being flammable by playing at center and they can't guard anybody. Okay, he's playing center because Anthony Davis is injured. And, yeah, and I, I, I don't disagree with you that like I had an argument with Arnovitz last week. Arnovitz was going to put him on first team. No, I know. And I, and I said I, don't I don't, respect Kevin's opinion. I don't know I, if there's I, enough I good might, forwards to leave him off. But, no, but well, that's why, here's that's all why he might make it, Bobby. And I haven't studied it yet, to be clear. But I, my guess is he'll probably be one of the last forward spots because forward is a really weak group with all these injuries that have happened, right? No Kawhi, no Zion. Um, you know, I, I, I'm forgetting other guys. There's been a bunch of injuries there that have win, winnowed the field down. But I think it's at least a discussion. So they, I think it's more of a discussion than being first team. They lose to the Pelicans the other night in, in a – I mean, if you had listened to the New Orleans broadcast, which, by the way, I love Joel Myers and Antonio Daniels, but it, it was yeah. like it was game seven of the finals for the <laughs> Pelicans. Like, they could not. Oh, by the way, Pelicans, they're now in a position to get the Lakers pick right now. I think the Lakers pick well, is eight. That's the other which big. Which is amazing. That's the other big pick drama in the league. I mean, we can talk about Cleveland and the pick it, it, it may end up owing to Indiana or not, depending on where whether it's in the lottery. Um, uh the other one is Memphis and New Orleans jostling over who gets this Lakers pick. And the, the New Orleans gets it if it's in the top 10. Memphis is now rooting for the Lakers to win some games so that they have a chance to get it at 11. And if Memphis suddenly ends up with, like, an extra lottery pick, talk about a team that, like, doesn't really need an extra lottery pick. They become, I mean, Zach Kleiman, their GM, just gets to sit there, get an extra phone in the office, be like, who should I call? To- who should I call today? Just to screw with them. Just to like, just to, just to start screwing with people with all the stuff I got to offer. Um, look, they lose to Norris. LeBron has 39 on like 17 of 29 shooting. And it's like, yeah, he's not a LeBron defensively. 
um, as he was four or five years ago. Although he came out in that game for the first five minutes, like wanting to announce, well, I'm playing defense tonight. I'm in your jersey. Full court <laughs> press tonight. I we're fired up. Lakers, Lakers. Um, and, and, and then it kind of faded from there, but it's like, okay. And then they lose. And it's like, well, you know, DJ Augustine only played okay. And Stanley Johnson, you know, didn't make enough shots. And, Wenyan Gabriel kind of had a shaky game. You're like, what are we even talking about? Like, I'm docking LeBron for this team being bad. Like, the, the, listen to the names I just said out loud. To, sure. To, does how many people know who Wenyan Gabriel is? He's starting for oh, the sure. Lakers. And like I said, I my guess is he'll probably make the back end of my forward ballot for Bobby's point. The forward spot is pretty weak this year. But I think that's more of a discussion than whether he should be first team. He will not be first team for me. Like, I, I just don't think he's having that kind of impact this year. All, my only point is, even from just a week ago when I did that podcast with Arnovitz, the all-NBA debate, it, the discussion, the, the, the contours of it changes every game. Because every game yep. that Tatum is putting up these numbers, his season-long numbers have normalized after his early season slump to the point it's like, this guy's just awesome. And his plus-minus is awesome. His defense is awesome. His passing is improved. part of the Celtics absolutely demolishing everybody for two months. And by like, the way, he does you know, run the most pick-and-rolls of all the Celtics. I, ju- I, just, yeah, I just looked it up. He's He's been amazing. Like, if, like without really sitting down and studying it yet, I would guess him and Giannis will be my first team forwards. I would guess. And I would guess Luka and Booker will be my first team guards. And, but I have to really sit and look. And at so him. the world the the world will 50 years from now when scholars in in the in the media dell are yeah. researching how did Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid make second team? I'd understand. They're going to be scouring yeah, be through like, parchment be ballots. Like- be like, It'll be like 60 years ago when Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell were first and second team All NBA hey, every man, year for a bunch of years. And you years, know what? The world, the world continued. And it was 60 okay. years everybody, ago, everybody smoking good. was cool, and nobody had car seats in their cars for small children. <laughs> hey. Man, that's all I'm saying. I'm ju- listen. If there were no positions, the first two names, the first, the first three names of my ballot would be Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis in some order, and I wouldn't think about it. But the but NBA, by doing all of this chicanery with the positions, is shouting at you, just ignore them and vote for well, whoever this, you want. Honestly, that's the part that's annoying me the most about it. It's like, the NBA is being ridiculous. Like, you, like to, to, we should clarify something for listeners. So... If Jokic and Embiid, like the reason you're talking about this clarion call thing with the positions, no matter how many votes you get, you're at the position you get the most votes at. So if Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic both get 60, first, 60 votes at center and 40 votes at forward, whatever the combination, they're both going to be on the All-NBA team at center, right? All the points count to one position. It's not like you don't get the other points, but you, you're at the position you get the most votes, and that's why Jason Tatum – was complaining on J.J. Reddick's pod earlier this year because he got more votes than I think it was Kyrie last year. I don't remember who it was. Then the last guard spot, he was eligible at forward and guard, but he had more forward votes because he's a forward. And so he was the seventh forward and didn't make All-NBA and thus didn't qualify for the Supermax. Now, again, you could say it's stupid that the media is determining whether he gets more money or not. It is. Again, it is. Which it is, but that's another thing the NBA has sort of just set off to the side. But like, you shouldn't have Joel Embiid or Nicole Jokic able to be voted for it forward. So instead of doing all these machinations, if you want people to just vote for the best players, then get rid of positions. Well, and first like, of all, trying to have have trying to have it both ways is just creating this ridiculous debate that isn't going to change anything anyway. Because these guys are going to end up at center, and that's the way it's going to be. You know how you fix the whole media voting, all NBA um, financial aspect of it. You you change the max salary slots. That's right. You have that's right. It, the max salary slots are backwards, so you're rewarding yes. players who are the older players with a bigger cap percentage, thirty five percent. And then we always talk about well, John Wall's contract and Russell Westbrook and James, like all these contracts that are going to be albatrosses down the road. What the league should have done is put the group of guys in that. In between the um, either this you know the rookie guys zero to six years or seven to nine, they get the thirty percent or they get the thirty five percent, and the veterans, the older players, are the third tier, which is the twenty five percent max salary slot. That's how 
That's how you fix you need, all you that. You're going to agree to, right, so, so, to agree to guys so, no, to right. take But Cuts that's later, how you right. fix that's it. Problem. So in theory, in theory, that's correct. No union worth its salt is ever going to nope. go against right. seniority. Um, right. Right. So, so the solution is that then the I've written a lot about this because the max con- contract prison to me is a structural flaw in the NBA. The Wizards should not be dead in the water because they drafted a guy number one and wanted to reward him with a first pick. All these guys, right. like I, they all these teams know the risk of these contracts, and yes, yeah, some teams have gotten out of it. Like the Thunder got out of the Russell Westbrook thing, you know, more than scot free. So maybe yeah. you just chalk it up to smart management, this and that. The solution is everyone's eligible for the 35% max, right? Like there's just no reason why John Morant or Jason Tatum or Carl Towns should be depending on media voters to make them eligible for the contract to pay them the most money during the years when they will be the most valuable. That's just stupid. It's structurally stupid. Make everyone eligible for them. Make one max. The best players are eligible for that max. Now the problem is, People below that will get that max. Below that level will get that max. And that's where the decision-making comes in. And then I, I, I have pitched the idea that for a 35 percenter that you've drafted and you've paid multiple contracts, you still on the original team that drafted him. If there is a situation where it goes sour or you, you become eligible for some one-time only amnesty or an extra mid-level exception or it doesn't count on your books for tax purposes, but only cap some some sort of carrot to you as this is your guy. You rewarded your guy. You didn't have really any other decision to make. It came back to haunt you. Here's some kid. We're getting off track. Before we go, let's talk about the team that's been number one in the East, almost wire to wire, and it's had a very interesting uh, last ten days. Their only four game losing streak of the season, which included. A really, really bad loss to the Knicks, which was the next game after the Eric Spolstra-Jimmy Butler blow-up. The Udonis Haslam, I will beat your ass blow-up, um, in which the whole team seemed to stand up for Eric Spolstra and try to shoo Jimmy Butler away from that situation. And then on a back-to-back, admittedly, against the Nets team who had been resting up in Miami for a couple of days, a destruction at the hands of those Brooklyn Nets. The Heat snapped it last night against the Kings. Um, they they tweaked their starting five, starting Max Struess in place of Duncan Robinson, which is a move I did not expect. They benched Markeith Morris. They benched Victor Oladipo, who has not looked very good since his return. What do we make of the Heat as the playoffs approach and these other teams now has taken a big injury in Boston, are gearing up in Milwaukee, blah, blah, blah. Tim, why don't you start? What do you, what do you make of the Heat, and particularly the last sort of ten days? Has it changed the way you think of this team? What's going on? So, the Heat were here last Monday to play the Sixers without Joel, without Harden without and Embiid, Joel Embiid, without James Harden, and looked like they were going to cruise to a win. The Sixers had played the night before; they lost the Raptors with OG and Fred Van Bleed out. They were down; they were going to lose again. And then they proceed to lose. They were horrible in the fourth quarter. They lose the game. Uh, you sort of hinted at it earlier. Um, the the Sixers just absolutely abused Tyler Hero in the fourth quarter of that game. Just went at him time after time after time after time and relentlessly attacked him. And then they had the same thing happen against Golden State and the same thing happened against the Knicks. Where they're in the fourth quarter, they're leading. Their offense completely craters. They can't make a shot. Their half-court offense falls apart, and they lose. I, to me, that is a sort of a symptom of what I've been concerned about with the Heat all year, which is that when they get into the playoffs, they're a team that right now relies a lot on Tyler Hero to create offense for them. And Tyler's had a nice year. He's going to win sixth man of the year, I'm sure. He's taken some steps forward as a player. I still think if you're relying on Tyler Hero to create shots for you at the end of a playoff game, you're probably going to be in trouble. And to go to the Jimmy situation, obviously Udonis yelling at Jimmy got a lot of attention. I understand why. Eric Spolstra never reacts to anything. And for him to react like that, the way he did going at Jimmy like that, that to me was a sign of some longer-term tension kind of breaking there and the dam kind of breaking. And that to me is a situation to watch is what happens with Jimmy going forward in Miami because the Heat – you know, we've all been around a lo- the league a while now. 
the Heat don't let stuff out. They're they they're buttoned up about everything, Eric especially. And for him to react like that in a situation like that on the court where everybody was going to see it, throwing the clipboard, going at Jimmy multiple times, like I'm sure some of it was to try to send a message, but it also to me was a sign of some deeper stuff that they're going to have to work through because their defense is going to be really good and they get in the playoffs, they're going to be tough as hell. They've done a great job managing the season. I didn't think they'd be this good in the regular season. Eric's done a, a remarkable coaching job this year with this team. Kyle Lowry's been out with personal reasons a bunch. They've had guys in and out of the lineup all year. They've been top the to East, but I have concerns about that half court offense. And you do have to wonder if stuff's going on with Jimmy with the way that all went. And it'll be very interesting to see how they navigate, you know, the next few weeks as they go into the playoffs. So, you know, certainly not the way they want it to be. Their schedule is tough, man. I mean, Boston, Chicago, Toronto, Charlotte, Atlanta, that's their next five. So probably they, assume they're going to be fourth, right? I mean, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't beating uh, Sacramento by 23 doesn't do much for me. Right. Yeah. Like it, like I want to see like now, like, like problems aren't fixed here. Um, I was cracking up before the game. Eric was like, Oh, this is a great team for us to play. They play really hard. I was like, no, this is a great team for you to play because they're Sacramento and their, their two best players aren't even playing. I mean, they're not good when they do play. So yes, it's a good team for you to play because of that. Um, the half court offense thing has been the bellwether all season. They've been a mediocre half court offense team all season. I've written about it over and over again. They make up for bad spacing with IQ and passing and artful use of the shooters that they have on the floor, drawing two on the ball, pass, pass, pass. And the thing about those is when they hit those ping, ping, ping sequences through tight spaces, boy, does it look gorgeous. You yep. sometimes forget the sequences where they can't make the passes because the spacing isn't good enough for them to make them. And you've seen more of those of late. Um, when they made the finals that year, I, I often just sort of I, – I would keep track of how many minutes do they play with three non-shooters on the floor. And they did their damnedest to minimize those minutes until they really had to put defensive lineups on the floor. Well, now they start – P.J. Tucker, Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo. And if you want to classify those as non-shooters, do what you will with their classification. Right? But Jimmy Butler, he made three threes last night, and it was like a miracle. He's barely made any threes this season. Right. Bam's a good mid-range shooter. He's not a range shooter. P.J. Tucker is a corner three-shooter, period, who is 5 of 28 from three since February 26th. He's made five threes in 15 games. At that point, you're just a non-shooter. And and he's just not making enough shots. And the spacing gets just really, really tight. And that's why they need – and you could see them last night staggering minutes in a way that minimized more than usual the three non-shooter minutes. That said, their starting five has been really good this season. They just need those guys on the floor to create offense, whether it's ball handling and hero or off-ball shooting in Struess and Robinson. I thought the Struess thing was interesting because – He's physically tougher and strong. Not tougher. He's physically just he's bigger and stronger bigger. than yeah. Duncan Robinson. Yeah. He has a little more juice off uh, on the off the dribble than Duncan Robinson. Not much more, but a little bit more in terms of Duncan Robinson's more a one and two dribble guy. Struess can get you to the rim here and there. He hit Hero with a pick and roll corner three pass. Um, Duncan last... will also hesitate to pull the trigger sometimes, and Max will never do that. But he I, will I, shoot. Every time. I do agree with you. That Butler-Spolster thing does not happen out of nowhere. That's a season. There's something going on in the fabric of that team. And I think part of it is that they feel this. We need these guys on the floor. And yet defensively, teams are pecking at them over and over again late in games. And they're caught in this no man's land. But I don't I don't really see an answer for them. I think, I think they will figure it out. It's and be a tough out for any of these teams in the playoffs because I do think they have enough IQ and toughness to figure out the half court offense. Lowry, thank God, has started to shoot more aggressively in the last two weeks, which they've really, really needed. That's a good sign for me. I think they're going to yeah. score enough to be competitive against all of these teams. Wouldn't shock me if they won the East. It would surprise me a little bit given their hiccups lately. But their defense is what it is. It's incredible, despite that that limitation we talked about that's baked in. Um, but the half court offense has been what I'm watching all season, and it's just it's just been up and down. It's hard to know what to make of them. I think they have the talent to put it all together and make a run. Yeah. But again, none of these teams have shown me enough to pick them 
over Milwaukee. And pre-Time Lord injury, Boston had become my number two in the East. Yeah, I was, I'm with you on that and those those two teams. You mentioned that uh, Markeith Morris hasn't played or didn't play yesterday. And the introduction of him and Victor Oladipo, I get why the Heat were trying to see what they had in those guys. Markeith, the both of them been out with injuries. Markeith has not looked very good. Victor has not looked very good. I think, you know, to me, it won't be a surprise if they're not really factors in the playoffs and if they roll with the guys they played last night, more or less. And, you know, that, that might help shake our uh, – even things out a little bit too, because all those games last week they were trying to get Marquise some minutes and see how it looked, and it just well. And they they also well. played him at center over Deadman, which I didn't like. I think Deadman brings right. a, a rim running and shot blocking dimension that they need, and Marquise Morris at center just doesn't it doesn't do enough to stretch the floor yeah. to to make up for that. To me, the other thing last night that I would keep an eye on is. Bam was switching a lot less on defense against the Kings than usual. He was playing a lot more traditional pick-and-roll defense. And that's been one of those things that I've been watching. Just like I love the Bam switching. They love the Bam switching. They are built to switch. I did – I've even talked to some people within their team about it. Like do you think you're – do you think you're airing too much in that direction and taking him away from the basket as a shot blocker and a rebounder? It was interesting – albeit against a pretty toothless Sacramento team, it was interesting to see them – drop him back a little bit more in traditional pick-and-roll defense. So that's something I'll be watching. But to me, the East still starts and ends with Milwaukee. I I just, all year, I, I had Brooklyn winning the championship. That situation went haywire early. Since then, Milwaukee has been the safest pick on the board in the East. And I, I just, it seems like you guys are there too. Like, I just don't, I, I, I don't feel compelled to pick any of these teams over the Bucks. They're safe. There's no drama, right? They just go out and play. Yeah, where they're so safe, we've talked about the top of the East for an hour, and we haven't talked about Milwaukee at all. Well, I had Marcus Johnson on my podcast uh, two weeks ago to do a whole Bucks. Oh no, I'm not. We we covered that. that. Like, I'm just saying, it's like all these other teams are like Bobby said. There's stuff going on, right? Like, there's stuff going on in Miami. There's stuff going on here in Philly. There's stuff going on with Brooklyn. There's stuff going on with Boston. With the Bucks, they've just kind of been rolling along all year, winning games. They've got Brook Lopez back now. You know, saw them this morning at shoot around. They're feeling great about things. They're healthy. They're ready to go. They feel good about themselves. My guess is they're going to put probably end up as the one seed in the East. And, you know, I thought in the preseason they would win the title again. We've got 10 days to go in the regular season or so. I would put my money on them winning the I'm title. I'm TBDing again, so. that discussion because I'm going to talk about Phoenix later this week. Um, last pop quiz, both of you, instant answers. Bobby, I'll start with you. And then, Tim, yeah. you do piggyback right on top of Bobby. Sure. Better chance to pull a first-round upset, Chicago or Toronto? Toronto. Toronto, for sure. We are unanimous. I don't like what I'm seeing in Chicago, even with Caruso back. The Lonzo thing is troubling. Pat Williams, it, it feels like it's going to take him a while. Toronto Toronto has a chance to be an interesting and— uh, Toronto's a funky team, man. Un- they got they got long athletes all over the place. Nick Nurse is going to throw all kinds of wild stuff at you in games. Like they're they're going to be a tough team to play. I would describe them as unpleasant. I it just it yes, just feels that's like a good word. just feel like this is a there's arms everywhere. They had do they have six guys on the floor? Why is Chris Boucher leaping at me from twenty feet away? I don't like that very much. OG Ananobi is really strong. Kind of hurts when he shoulder checks me. Gary Trent's talking a lot of trash. I just don't. Why is Fred Van Vliet taking the ball? I don't like any of it. All right, guys. Tim Bontemps, uh, your straw poll is out today. Leading our website per usual with Nikola Jokic in the lead for MVP. (laughs) It's going to cause some ruffled feathers. Bobby Marks, you're grinding away on your off-season articles. I can't wait to read 400 words on what Mo Bamba's next contract is going to look like for the, oh, I, the I, Orlando it's, Magic. It's actually 700. <laughs> you, guys, you guys do incredible work. Uh, I will talk to you both soon. Thanks. Thanks, Zach.